This is a full house. If you look around and you look around, this is as full as we can get right now in COVID. This is as full as we can get. We can't really, well, I guess maybe a few more up front here, and that's, that's about it. So can I say thank you to all of you for being here? I know it's not easy in the midst of everything going on with Delta variants and everything like that and all the news that we get, and it's easy to uh, come or have fear when, it, when we have these moments. But we're doing our best to make sure that you're all safe and protected and you have your space. Um, and if you feel comfortable, we, we love having you here and being able to worship together with you. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being present with us. Uh, familiar faces, faces we haven't seen in a while, and also um, some new faces or newer faces to us. Um, just want to say hi to Pastor Gabe and Brandy over there in the corner and with Christine. So great to have you guys with us visiting and uh, taking in a service. Just beautiful. Um, so here we are in the middle of our spiritual conflict series. Well, we only actually have a couple weeks left in the series. Oops. Ingrid's uh, breaking the camera here. <laughs> now, is it going to be like the back screen where it's like everything's cut off from there? <laughs> oh, we can have fun in church too, right? All right. Unfortunately, this sermon series and what we're talking about today isn't one of those fun ones. All right. Spiritual conflict, it's a real thing. And while summer, you know, we usually think of summer as take it, take it easier, take it lighter, you know, you have umbrellas and your drinks in the backyard and everything like that, and it's just, I just want to take a deep breath and relax. And yet here we are uh, at Life Center choosing to use our summers. Every summer we seem to go like, let's go hardcore and deep in what we're talking about. Last year it was all like spiritual gifts. Uh, and the power of the Spirit, and we went through all the different gifts that we had, and this year it's spiritual conflict that we're wrestling through. Uh, but here's the thing, church. We want you to be prepared. We want you to be uh, equipped in order to live the life that God has for you. And if you're new to faith or new word of faith or just exploring faith, uh, when we talk about these, these different subjects, uh, spiritual gifts, the supernatural, and how it all interacts with our physical world, uh, we want you to know that um, you don't have to walk this journey alone. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're trying to wrestle through, what does he mean when he's talking about that? Or whoever's speaking on any given Sunday, what do they mean when they, they mention all these things? Please feel free to reach out. There's no question that's going to be a dumb question. The only dumb questions that I know are the ones that we never ask, the ones that we're afraid to ask. Um, because we all come from it from different backgrounds and different uh, positions of faith and different understandings of things. So I encourage you, if you have questions, uh, call us, email us, reach out to us. We'd love to walk through uh, all of this stuff with you any way we possibly can to help you understand and uh, have a grip and a better understanding of what it means to live a spiritual life and a, a life led by what we believe is the one true God uh, that we see in Jesus Christ. So we're diving into, again today, what it looks like to work through spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare. Now that term, warfare, is a strong term, but it's a term that we need to use when we look at what we're doing because, like I've said in the past, you are the battleground. You. Not the world around us per se, but you are the battleground because what, we're, what the battle is for is for your life. Your life is the battleground, and who will win that battle? Will it be a battle that you and Jesus together are victorious in, or is it a battle that our enemy, the devil, Satan, is victorious in, in having us succumb to um, the power of sin and brokenness in our world? That is the battle that we're facing, and we want all of us, again, like I said, to be equipped. So we're looking at, uh, if, you, if you remember, we've been looking at the demonic uh, level of influence and the idea of uh, that supernatural realm that we, we have around us. And this week, we're going to be looking at it from like a ground level perspective, what you and I can face on the day to day. And then next week, we'll look at it from more of a cosmic level or higher level 
perspective as we continue to move forward. But as we dive into this, I want us to do this. I want us to remind ourselves as followers of Christ, uh, those of us here in the room that are followers of Jesus, the position that we have in him. And if you don't know Christ, I invite you to just consider the position that you can have in him, the authority that you can walk. If he is the ultimate authority of our world, aligning yourself with him and having him adopt you into his family and give you his power as part of his family, uh, that positions us uh, to be able to speak about the supernatural and the, the dark side of the supernatural. We don't need to speak about it in hushed tones or whisper about it or speak in fear, you know, saying, man, if I talk about this, that means I'm inviting that presence or that, that type of activity around me. We don't need to, to do that. We don't need to think of it as uh, horror movie type of things. We don't need to consider that and have our heart racing when we talk about it. Rather, we can speak with authority and clarity to call out and declare the weakness that our enemy has in light of who God is, his power, and our position with him. And so we want to remind ourselves of that as we go into this conversation again today, that we don't come into it um, thinking about an adversary and an enemy that we can't defeat, that isn't already defeated, that doesn't already know his fate and yet is going kicking and screaming. We don't need to go into it in fear, but we can go into it uh, assured of our position in Christ. So the battle that we face, a flesh battle, a worldly battle, and a uh, supernatural battle. So as we do, let's pray before we dive in. God, we thank you that you are God of the universe, that you are God supreme over all that is. God, we submit ourselves to your authority. We invite you into this place. We give you authority in this room, in our lives. And God, we just declare in this moment that any work of the enemy, any ideas or fears or attachments to our conversation today, God, we just bind those in your name, Jesus, and we do not allow them a place in our hearts, in our heads, in our souls to uh, create doubt or fear or division within us, but instead we rest in you, Jesus. And we thank you for the work that you've done on the cross for us, Jesus. And so we stand here secure in that. We seal this talk, this time together In your name, Jesus, amen. The reason why we start with that is this. The very first scripture that we're going to read today, Luke 11, 24 to 26, is this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. And it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. We pick great scriptures, don't we? <laughs> this is not your typical Sunday morning scripture. It's not, it's not Psalm 23 or as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. It's when demons get cast out and then they look back and say, I'm going back to the old house because it's nice and clean and I'm going to bring seven people that are worse than me along with it. What a scripture to start with. But here's the thing that we want to understand. Again, the spiritual battle that we're in is real. Jesus uses in this scripture, he uses a house as a metaphor for our spirit, our, our, who we are as a person, both physical, mental, spiritual, who we are, our being, he uses house as a metaphor. There was an unclean spirit, and it has been cast out or sent out of that person, out of that house. Now, all through scripture, The wilderness, the desert places, even as Ingrid was talking about this morning, being out in the wilderness and desert, they're places of temptation and trial and emptiness and brokenness. And that's what we we often see in, 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 in all of this, in our lives and stuff like that. When we go through these moments, we have that. And yet this 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 uh the spirit that has been gone out is is in the wilderness, it's in the broken, it doesn't want to be there any more than you do. And so what does it want to do? It wants to find a house to inhabit, and it sees the old house that it was in, nice and clean, and it says, I just want to go back there. 
And here's the thing we got to understand. There's a number of battles that we face in this world, right? And that often the battles we face seem to return because the battle has some phases to it. And the first phase is the battle to become free, right? We want to have freedom in Christ. We want to be set free. Jesus came so that we could have new life in him. We're born again in him. And yet then there's another battle, and that battle is to remain free and to remain in him and not be tempted to go back to what we used to have and what we used to be. And that often requires obedience and not complacency. It isn't one of those things where we can stop and just say, you know what, now I'm free, I'm good, I've arrived, I can just coast through my Christian life now because I've been set free from everything of my past. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say, that was not my experience. That my freedom in Christ didn't just come and then was guaranteed and I, I felt like I had this you know, like new suit of armor on that I could, I could not fail because there's no way I could fail. Most of us, if we're honest, we can see that the habits and the hurts and the hangups that were there, they, they can sometimes feel like they haunt us or, or entice us back. And this new walk in freedom with Jesus, for some, it seems dramatic and their life used to be death and despair. And then they, they change and it's all, it's life and it's so full of joy. And it seems like there's no enticement back to the old ways. But realistically, there is that battle to stay and remain free in Christ. That's why Paul speaks about that. That's why he says that. That's why Christ has set us free, to stay free. And so we need to not go back to a bondage uh, or to, to slavery again, to sin, to be slaves to sin again. We want to stay free. The enemy of our hearts, his desire is always to see us go into a worse state than we already are. He always wants to see us degrade. Now, recently... Uh, we just bought a home here in the area and have moved into that, that new home. And so uh, when you do so, right, the real estate agents, what do they want to tell you? They want to tell you that the house you're about to buy and you're about to move into is what? Move in ready, don't they? They say they want it to be ready for possession. They want it to be crystal clean and clear and it's right. All you have to do is put your furniture where you want, sit back and turn on the TV because it's already good to go for you. Uh, that is not the case most of the time, is it? <laughs> it's usually a little bit of work to do, to clean your house and get it ready. And that's kind of what we deal with when we're working through our lives and dealing with what's involved in our lives in the spirit realm and what's going on. There's some work we do to clean up who we are as far as like uh, get free of the bondage and the brokenness and the sin that so easily entangled us to make us clean. And here we are dealing with that. And just like that verse we read, though, when I talked about the, the, the spirit that left and then came back to a nice, clean house, sometimes we just want to like get rid of stuff, but we're not as concerned about what we refill that house with or what that clean house is. And it's, a, it's an empty house, right? When you move in, I, I remember when I, when I toured the house that we, we had just purchased, it was full of furniture, everything, so you could envision what it looked like. And then when we came back to the house, there was nothing there. It was completely empty. Every room was empty. There's not a stitch of furniture anywhere. And it, it, it looks nice in one regard, but it's, it's not a home because there's nothing there. And that was the case as far as that scripture goes where the spirit was like, it's empty, it's clean, it's ready to be inhabited again, and nothing else has taken place. Nothing else has, has taken up residence from when I was cast out, so I'm just going to go back. That idea of possession, of, of inhabiting something, it can, can often get us a little, uh, a little uh, leery or, or afraid when we're talking through the idea of, of the spirit realm and the demonic activity. It can be a stumbling block for us because we, we talk about, the, can you be Possessed. Can the spirit realm, the world around us, possess us in a way that, that uh, is, is hard for us to understand? And that I, the, the words that we use in the New Testament for possession, they can often trip us up. So what I want to do is I want to just take a second and, and clarify 
that most of the time in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when it says that they were, quote-unquote, demon-possessed, the original language, in the original language, the word they're using there, a uh, clearer translation for us in English today would be this, had a demon. Not demon-possessed, but they had a demon. And so they were afflicted by a demon, or they were, they were demonized. There was a demon harassing them. And it may seem, to some of you, it may seem like, well, what's the difference whether a demon is demonizing you or whether you are possessed by a demon? For others, it is a, it's a huge difference in understanding what we're dealing with in the supernatural. So I just want to make a case for just saying this. When you think through um, possession in the New Testament and how we deal with it today, I want you to think through as far in, in terms of that. What does it look like for us to be harassed or demonized uh, in this world. And again, I'm not talking about all of us all at the same time or anything like that. I'm just saying, in the world, what does it look like? So I, want to th- I want you to think through this, especially when it comes to uh, those of us of faith in how we believe in the supernatural and how it affects us. Some would believe once you come to Jesus, then the attacks of the enemy are impervious, that the, the the spirit realm can't affect you the same way as it could before you came to Jesus. And yet I think of many who, in the New Testament, came to Jesus that, had, uh, that were demonized. And it said they came to Jesus in faith that he could do something for them. Believing in faith that he could be their salvation from what they are dealing with. And so we have to wrestle through what does that mean? If they came in faith to Jesus that he could do something, and yet they were demonized. We need, to, we need to question these things and understand what implications does that have for us as followers of Jesus. Can we then be harassed by demons, by the spirit realm, in a way that afflicts us, interrupts the way God wants us to live, put strongholds in our lives that, that we have trouble breaking free from, can we, in the same way, be affected by the spirit realm? I want you to think about that, because if we can't, think through, I think through my life, and any, any moments or, or times with other people in my life that I've seen, that I've worked with, that potentially have had a stronghold in their life, if I, if I don't believe that the spirit realm can have any effect on them, then that must mean what they're dealing with is all within them. Any inability for them to become free and to walk in freedom with Jesus has nothing to do with the spirit realm. It has only to do with themselves. Which leads us then to think they're not holy enough or they're not like following Jesus enough, then it leads us to a legalism and, a, and, uh, and, and thinking that there's something wrong with us. And just think of it, if, if there's a stronghold in somebody's life regarding, say, fear and brokenness and something like that, and they can't get free of it. It seems irrational to them, and they can't get free of it, and they've, they've tried everything they can. They've gone to counselors, and they've worked on it, and they can't get free. They know Jesus, they trust Jesus, but they can't get free. What is wrong? Could there be some level of supernatural interference in their life? We need to be able to look at those things in an honest conversation and say, maybe we can be afflicted afflicted that way. So Jesus, in bringing us freedom and wanting us to be free, it wasn't just merely bringing us and cleaning out our house and having an empty house where, where there was no sin or brokenness in it. It was more than just being saved from sin. It was being called to holiness. It was being called to be set apart to God, rejecting walking according to our flesh in the world, but walking in according to the Spirit. Now think of it this way. It's not just that the unclean spirit is out of a person or the, the brokenness and sin and the ways of the world are out of a person. In Acts 1, 4 to 5, we read this. While, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to walk or to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, uh, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
And then it was only a few short weeks later in Acts 2, 1 to 4, that we read this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there was, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. Again, think, again, we're using the metaphor that we saw of the spirit in a house. Here is God's spirit filling the house literally where they were sitting. And their divided tongues of fire, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're not just saved to be free from sin, but we're saved to be set apart and to be holy. And that, that happens when we are filled with God's presence. And so our first ground-level understanding uh, to dealing with the supernatural and this worst state assignment that they have to try and put us in is this, is that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to walk in step with the Spirit. That is our first defense against walking out this life and the dealings that we have in the supernatural is to be in step with God's Spirit. Now, here's the thing. The demonic can do uh, various things in and around our lives. And as we go through these uh, a few things I'll mention here, I want you to remember last week uh, being careful to think about the demonic being nowhere and everywhere and how we sometimes can think in our rational minds that it's not around us. And sometimes we can think everything is uh, the demonic. Uh, we can think that it's, it's present everywhere. Um, I was joking around with, with uh, Kathy just before service because there was one spotlight that was shining down on the corner there and it was flashing on and on and on and off, on and off. And we we're like, why did that just happen? You know, is it some type of spiritual conflict? Or maybe it was our finger hit the little slider on the button and turned on a light that wasn't normally on. You know, we tend to think there's some, probably some spiritual conflict and some activity in everything when really it was just a slider on an iPad that is so easy to bump up. It was bumped up that far, which turned on the light enough to make it flash on and off. And yet we, we want to think, that, oh, there's something, you know, that's, that's bad going on when it, it was just our finger, you know. But other times, say, for instance, wanting to come to church, Wanting to get up early enough in the morning to make it to church on time when you think, ah, I can just sleep in. Sometimes those are real spiritual conflicts. Those are real conflicts that you face where God wants to come and do something together. When we're here together, when the, the saints gather together, when we pray together, when we agree together, there's power in what we do. There's power in God's word being spoken and God's word being heard and received and changing our lives. And when we're like, ah, you know what, I'd rather sleep in today. There could be some real spiritual conflict going on there to try and stop you from the growth that God has for you. Now, let's get into what it looks like. Again, because um, we're looking at this from the belief that there, and I want to set this out, we're looking at this from the belief that there is one true God in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all other gods are false gods, in works of the powers, principalities, and rulers of this world. Okay? That's the position that I'm speaking from today, is the belief in that. That there is only one God, and his name is, uh, that we see him in, as, is, as Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are a triune God. All three forming one, uh, one God for us. And that that... That entity, that God that we serve is the only God that there is. All other gods are false gods um, that are the works of, like I said, powers, principalities, and rulers of this world. Um, and I say that just so we can understand how we're working through this next bit. That is what, when we read in the Bible, that is how it describes um, the spirit realm. Uh, you look in the Old Testament, you don't read a lot about a lot about the supernatural as far as demons and things like that, but you read a lot about gods. 
right? And you read a lot about powers and principalities and overseeing uh, different nations and things like that. That's the Old Testament understanding and way of describing what we see in the New Testament as um, the power wrestle that goes on within the New Testament. Um, so here we go. This isn't an exhaustive list, but it is how, for the most part, we can look at seeing the demonic taking a foothold in lives around us. The first thing is this. It's through our personal hurts, hang-ups, habits, and experiences. It could be through generational things or inheritance that the, the demonic can get a foothold in our lives, where we don't deal with those things. It could be through blessings and curses. And I mentioned even blessings as far as there is within the, the realm of possibility, within uh, the occult and things like that, an, uh, an evil blessing that, that confers an evil power uh, that they would say is a blessing, but we would see as a curse. But through blessings and curses, the, the, the demonic can have uh, access to our lives. Through activity associated with other religions, the occult, cults, in societies, both um, secret or other, that there is a lot of activity that happens in the demonic through that that can affect our lives. Through regional authority, and that's, again, through the powers and principalities of this world, um, it seems that the, the demonic has areas of geographical areas in which they, um, similar to how we break up um, our geography for everything from government and uh, voting things and everything like that, how we have geographic regions, it seems like that is how the spirit realm is somewhat organized as well. And then again, like I said, through a more cosmic level in the realm between earth and heaven and how that exists. We can often read in the Bible how there was there is battles that happen in between and how messengers from God sending messages to earth type of thing were delayed as there was a battle in that realm between heaven and earth, a realm that we don't quite understand how it exists because it's not a, a linear realm. But still, those are different ways in which the, the supernatural and demonic can affect us. And we'll address some of those cosmic level things next week, but today we face the ground level activity. And this is how the demonic can affect us. It can do, I'm going to list a number of things here that can happen. The demonic can disrupt our activity. This could look at as simple as things becoming ultimate things. Things in our lives that are fine and good becoming the ultimate. They, they become our, our sole focus in life. And they're disrupting the path that God has us on for things that are less than what God has for us where blessings become idols. They can tempt us to make unwise decisions and create relational problems out of nothing, where there shouldn't be, you know, think of it as like the, the, the pea under the mattress in the, the old um, fairy tale, how something so small becomes something so big in our lives, a mountain out of a molehill. It can disrupt us. It can also tempt us. The demonic are the primary agents of temptation, playing on our flesh, on the sinful flesh that we have. They, they play on that to tempt us and entice us into uh, areas of our vulnerability, areas where we know that we're, we, would, we can succumb or give in to things easier than uh, on other things. But yet we understand in Galatians 5.1, it says this. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So we stand firm against temptation, and we do that, like it says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, it says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so we stand, we can stand against temptation by what? Walking by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. Another thing that, uh, that uh, the demonic can do is this. It can hide things. It can conceal. I remember, I think it was one of the earlier weeks I talked about how uh, somebody that... Um, that we had dealt with that was dealing with a stronghold in their life had made a vow to never 
make public something that had happened in their lives. They had a vow of secrecy and of hiding something that opened them to a stronghold that the enemy, that the demonic could hold in their lives where they could not get freedom from it. They had, they had repented from the sin that they had been involved in or whatever. They had repented of it, but they had not yet broken that, that hiding part. They'd gone to God and said, God, I'm so sorry for what I have done. But they had yet to, to open themselves up and say, uh, to confess it and have it open. And they were hiding it and saying, I will never let anybody know what I have done. And the power that that had over them, it limited their ability to continue to move forward in certain areas of their life. The demonic can get a foothold by hiding things. And yet John 3, 20 to 21 says this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I want you to catch that there. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. What is that what does that tell you there? It's, we, we think it says, okay, so what, who, whoever is really walking and being true is going to be in the light. I want you to hear what happened, though. They came from the darkness to the light, right? But whoever does what is true comes to the light, which infers they were in darkness. There was hiddenness. There was brokenness that they didn't let bind them and keep them there, but they wanted to do what is true and what is right, so they came to the light. So just understand that when you go through that, you don't go like, man, I have to be always in the light 24-7 as far as, or else I'm a complete failure and I'm in the dark and I'm going to be lost and whatever. We all deal with brokenness in our lives, and yet we continually come to the light. That is how we say, stay what is true, stay and be what is true in God. So come to the light. Come for prayer. Develop a, ha- develop a habit of confession. Be humble. Receive feedback. And we can protect ourselves from hiding things. The next thing is fear. Think of all the, the horror films out there in the world, how it always portrays darkness as more powerful than it truly is. There is power in the demonic realm. No question. But, but we listen to 1 Peter 5 and it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The key there is he's not a lion. He's like a lion. He's disguising himself and trying to puff himself up to be bigger than he actually is. But we know there's only one true lion, the lion of Judah, And so we don't have to fear and let fear overwhelm us. We don't have to let scary movies and the demonic that we see in movies overwhelm us and think that it has such a power to to control the way it does because it's just puffing itself up bigger than it actually is in order to convince us and bluff us of of its strength, which leads us to the next one, deceit. This is a major problem. Lying to us, straight up lying to us about the consequences of our actions. There is a pleasure in rebellion against God. For a season, there is a pleasure in doing your own thing and how that leads you to feel and and be able to live. But it is for a purpose, and that is your undoing. And it is for a season because it ends in death, rebellion against God. So we do not want to fall for the lies and deceits of our enemies. Another one is hindrances. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says this, that they can hinder unbelievers from believing in Jesus. They can hinder our prayers, our spiritual disciplines. There's often a battle, a resistance. Like I said, even each Sunday to get to church sometimes or to be involved in the, uh, the church ministries or the things of God, there's a, there's a resistance to that that seems greater than the resistance of maybe going to work or doing your favorite hobby or another obligation. We can get up at the same time for, or earlier for a tee-off time than for church sometimes, right? Maybe you don't 
golf or do something like that. But sometimes those things, it's easy to, to wake up and get going for them. And But when it comes to something that is spiritual in nature, that moves our relationship with God forward, we're just like, oh my goodness. And we're dragging and it seems like, do I really need to do that? And we're, we start weighing out whether or not we have to continue to go through with it. It could be a Bible study or a small group or something. We're just like, yeah, maybe I'll take this term off or something like that. And it really is a spiritual hindrance in our lives that's trying to keep us from moving forward with God. Accusations. The demonic speak and whole lies presented as half-truths. They entice us to define ourselves by our struggles alone and not by the victory that Christ has won for us in Calvary. Rumors, gossip, slander, false witness is all the language of our enemy, speaking words of death and not life. Harassment is another one. The demonics don't seem to harass everyone the same or equally, but each is harassed in some way. And we see instances of this with Jesus when he was teaching in a synagogue in Luke 4, 31 to 35. It says this, And as he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and as he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. Just going back up there. This is in their version of church. This is in what up until the coming of Jesus has been, how to follow the one true God. He's doing everything he thinks he's supposed to do. He's in the synagogue. He's following their rules to, to be in synagogue, and yet he has an unclean spirit. So I just want us to keep remembering the fact that uh, faith is not a, a, a lone determinant in how we can be harassed by our enemy. And he, so and let's jump back in. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Harassed. Harassed. We can be harassed by what's going on. Jesus was harassed. He was, he was, he was taunted by, what was, by this, this spirit. And yet, the power that Jesus had to tell him just to be quiet and get out and do no harm to the man who was demonized. Here's the thing. There's something simple that we can, we can do in our lives as followers of Jesus when we feel maybe that we're harassed is this. It's just to, just to have simple prayers, something like this. If this is the work of the enemy, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stop it right now. A simple prayer, and it's not a formula. We're not, we're not just like saying, calling out on, on just any name or making a formula out of it. Again, it's based out of relationship. Like we talked about, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the seven sons of Sceva who had no relationship with God and you were trying to call on Jesus' name to do uh, particular works. When we have that relationship with God, we can stand in the authority that Jesus has given us to say, you have no authority to act like this here in this place. If this is the work of the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stop right now. Okay, so going back to the book of James, it shares specifically how we can resist all these different various ground-level warfare tactics that the enemy is going to throw at us. It says in James 4, 7, 8, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So our work starts again by staying in step with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and submitting ourselves to God, saying, God, you're the ultimate authority in my life and in the world, and I'm going to submit myself to your authority, and I'm going to draw as near to you as I can. I'm going to resist the work of the enemy, and then the enemy will flee. Submit, be filled. Come to the light, walk in the Spirit. Notice, we always wage war from abiding in our Father. We don't wage war in our own strength. We wage war by abiding in Him and being as close to Him as we can. 
rooting ourselves in who we are in Christ and being filled with his spirit. Think of it this way. We fight from God's presence, not our perfection. You do not need to be perfect in order to, be, to, to win this battle. You need to be in the presence of God. We fight from God's complete work, not our ongoing transformation. We don't keep you know, building up the muscles and thinking, oh, this is what's going to do it. This is what's going to keep them at bay. We don't. We stay in the completed work of Jesus. What Jesus has done for me and you, all of us, what he has done is enough already for you to live in victory. And so you stand in that as you continue to grow and be transformed by the renewing of your spirit in him. We fight from God's power, not our fluctuating piety. Man, some days I feel like I can conquer the world, and other days I feel I can barely get out of bed. How can I fight an enemy when I can fluctuate up and down? Just read through the Psalms. Read how David, one minute, is like, I'll pick up a stone and I'll take on a giant. And the next moment, he's laying in his bed going, God, I can't do anything. My enemies are all around me and I just don't want to go on any longer. We all have those moments and we can't use that as our place to fight from. We don't fight from there. We fight from God's power. We fight from God's faithfulness, not our shifting faithfulness and faithlessness. For the moments we can be like Peter and saying, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out and walk on the water. And one minute, we're full of faith because we're going to walk on water. We're going to do the supernatural. And then the next moment, we look at the waves and go, I can't do this. And we start sinking. We don't rest in our faithfulness or faithlessness. We rest in God's faithfulness because he is 100% committed and consistent and does not change. He does not leave you or forsake you, but he is always there with you to lead you and guide you through everything that you have to go through. Our spiritual authority is rooted in our position as members of God's family. It's not in our personality or in our emotions. It doesn't matter if you are flamboyant and you can wear a white suit or a purple suit or you can dance across the stage and say a lot of amazing things or whether you sit quietly in the back row of the church every Sunday, that your, your authority and your position is as a member of God's family, not in your charismatic expression. Charles Kraft says this, our spiritual authority is the God-given right to receive and use God's power that flows from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So here's the heart of Jesus and the posture of the early church, 2 Corinthians 2.11, that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. That is why we talk about it. And it may seem weird to have had such a, a, a message that was so geared towards you know, an enemy and, and, and negative things, yet we do not want to be outwitted by Satan out of ignorance and out of not understanding. And that this is our goal, that our, our affection, our hearts would be turned towards Jesus and that we would not be ignorant of how the enemy is working to rob, kill, destroy God's work in our lives, in our church, in our family, in our city. Because the battle is real. So on a ground level, how do we engage our spiritual adversary today? A few things as we close for you to, to think through. One, deal with what attracts the enemy. Deal with what attracts the enemy. Think of it like, uh, like mice or rats. I know in Ottawa they're dealing with a lot of rats everywhere because the train has pushed all the rats from downtown into the suburbs. And now everybody in the suburbs who puts their garbage outside and their, and their green bin outside is, is being infested with rats in the suburbs and they don't know how to deal with it. Deal with it by not having what all the rats are attracted to. So we deal with it by cleaning out all the hurts and hang-ups and things in our lives that attract the work of the enemy, the things that make us vulnerable. So what do we do? We want to be healed. We want to remove the conditions that give space for the demonic to be active. This is a major issue. This is probably the most important step 
in getting freedom in this regard is to confess what's going on in our lives, work through that healing process, renounce any ties we had to those broken things in our lives, renounce anything that could stand in the way of God's uh, purpose for our lives. That weakens the power that any enemy would have against you because you are closing off their access to those things in your life by cleaning it out. The second thing then would be to count, account for how we think and talk. Do you speak blessings or curses over yourselves and others? And I'm not talking about it from a pr- prosperity perspective of like, I just want to bless you with this or that or, or speak life to you in this regard and then all of a sudden it's magically going to happen in your life. I'm not talking about that per se, but I'm just talking about it in your everyday language. There may be some of you here today that when you get up and you look in the mirror, the first thing you think of is, I am whatever. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too heavy. I, I weigh too much. I'm not beautiful. I'm this or that. And that language every single day becomes a curse over you, where you believe that who God made is less than what God intended. That somehow you're not beautiful. That somehow you're not made in the image of God. That God doesn't look at you and say, you're worth dying for. You convince yourself that you're less than that. And that gives the enemy a foothold to break in and say, you know, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're not worth it. So we want to account for how we think about that. We also want to account for the curses that we may put on others. And that may, I'm not talking about conjuring up curses and, and, and doing like Harry Potter stuff or anything like that. I'm just talking about like speaking death over people. How you talk about somebody else and how you put them down or you speak about, you're never going to, you can't, you are. Like, how we talk to people speaks something into their heart. So do we speak life or do we speak death? The power of life and death is in the tongue, it says in Proverbs. So let's take that seriously and account for how we think and talk about ourselves and others. Number three, take authority of situations, places, and things. Since Jesus has given us authority to use his power to bring freedom and enforce his kingdom and expand his kingdom. So this could be as simple as uh, one of the things that the first things that we did when we bought our house uh, in Martintown is as a family, we gathered together and we prayed over that property because we took possession of that property. It is now our property. And as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, we said this property is now claimed for God's purposes. Any ties to uh, less than God's purposes, we break those, we bind those, and we kick them off of this property and declare that this property is for God's purposes and God's purposes alone. Now, it seems like that is like, why would you need to do that? I have no idea what that property was used for before I got there. I have no idea how it was used or what was invoked or called on in that property and for its purposes. And so I want to say and take authority for what I have possession of. And we can do that. And so I want to do that. I want to take authority of situations. Like I said earlier, as simple as God, if this is a work of the enemy, if this is not a work of you in Jesus' name, we call for this to stop. So we take authority. Then the fourth thing is, when we've done these three things, if we still feel like there's a spiritual conflict, demonic activity that is at work, there's a lack of freedom, there's something that keeps us from having, uh, being free from whatever or somebody from being free from whatever, no, even though they've done those different things, then I encourage you to engage with those who have more experience to lead you, guide you, teach you, and what it looks like to be free, to, to get freedom from uh, the demonic in the spirit world. Whether that's working with us at Life Center as far as our freedom ministry and working towards freedom and speaking with us and and walking that out or somebody you know that can help you walk through that, get the freedom that God has has for you. Don't live being bound and and stuck in that. We have a freedom. God, it says like for, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And so we want to live in that. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, God came to bring us his loving salvation and freedom. 
Amongst other things, those two big things, his loving salvation and freedom. And so we want to walk that out today. All right. That gets us to the end of our message today. I know, again, it's heavy talks that we've been going through. But I don't want you to be unprepared or ignorant of what this world is attacking you with every single day. Every day you wake up, there's an enemy that is looking to devour you, acting like a lion, trying to take you out. And we need to be prepared and not afraid of the battle that we face. Let's pray. God, again, we just declare your authority in this place. We declare that we submit ourselves to you. God, I pray for anybody here today that has not yet decided or given their life to you, that in this moment, their faith in you would set them free. Their faith that you save and you bring freedom, that you break the ties that we have to the brokenness in us, the sin nature, the the things in us that make us do the things that we don't want to do. God, you can break that because of what you've done for us on the cross. How you died and rose again, and your sacrifice covers all the sin and brokenness in the world. God, we all claim that today, and if there's somebody here today that has never claimed that or needs to claim that today, God, together we we join with them to say, Father, we trust you. We put our faith in you in the work of your Son for our salvation and for our freedom today. And God, we declare that this congregation, this church, is set apart, holy, and filled with your Spirit for the work that you have for us. God, we, we declare in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits that we will not let a spirit of fear dictate to us our futures. We will not let a, a spirit of brokenness dictate to us what will happen. And we will not let the enemy have a stronghold and a foothold in our lives which keeps us from walking out in your spirit the future that you have for us, advancing your kingdom in Cornwall. In Jesus' name, we want to declare freedom in this place. We want this place to be a place where freedom rings loud and clear, where salvation is found in you, Jesus. We declare that that is who we are as Life Center. And we endeavor to live that out, seeking to come to the light with anything in us that is not of you, God, and expose it and allow you to bring healing and wholeness to us. God, we are aware of an enemy, but we are also aware of your victory over that enemy. And we stand in that victory. We stand in your strength. And God, we declare that we will walk with you in step with your spirit in this spiritual conflict. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth, your word, to see your spirit active in our lives and in our, the world around us so we can stay in step with you and follow you. And God, we just thank you for this. We pray this and we seal it in your wonderful name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen.